0: Welcome to Season 3, Episode 7 of the Bandit About podcast series. Today's guest is without doubt one of Australia's premier harmonica players. And there aren't too many people in Australia who are not familiar with his playing. Every time that you hear one of Australia's favourite Australian rock anthems, you will hear his distinctive harp lines weaving in and out behind the vocalist. He has played with that band, his own band, in a duo and many other musicians here. But before I introduce today's guest, it's first time for me to play the Bandit About theme song, which was written and recorded for the Bandit About podcast series by the very talented Catherine Lambert and Michael Mitzi Bryant.
1: To where you are and how does it feel? It's with a with.
0: It's pleasure that I welcome David Blight. Welcome, David, and thank you for making time to chat with me today.
2: Not a problem at all, Di, not a problem at all.
0: Okay, David, let's start from the beginning.
2: Where were you born? Uh, here in South Australia, Henley Beach.
0: And is that the area that you grew up in? Pretty
2: much, yeah, along the coast. We sort of lived in a few places along the coast there. Down at West Beach and then at Grange, but pretty much always sort of centered around that kind of area with Henley Beach in the middle. Went to Henley Primary School and then Henley High.
0: Excellent. David, did either of your parents come from a musical background or anyone else
2: in the family? Dad sang a bit, he played trumpets and also actually, yeah, chromatic harmonica. My parents split up when I was very young and I didn't actually know that for a long, long time. And it was just funny, yeah, I took up playing harmonica, and I didn't even know that Dad played himself back in the day.
0: Oh, that's great. So you said you went to Henley? Yep. To primary and high school? Yeah. Did you study music when you were at school?
2: I think if I remember rightly, there was, it might have been early on in high school, maybe year one, year two, sort of in high school. There was like a music class. I think everyone got a recorder and that was about it. And you, it was pretty loose. I wouldn't say it was any sort of tuition at all. It was just, it was very, very loose. I can't remember us ever sitting down and listening to things, you know. I would have thought that, you know, looking back, you know, the teacher brought in music for you to listen to and, and all sorts of music. I can't remember Anything like that It was just one of those things. It was sort of back in the day there you had religious instruction. That might have been end of primary school, early high school, end of primary, I think. But you had those sorts of things like that. They were really nothing. They were just kind of a little bit of nothing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I believe that you were influenced to start playing the harmonica after hearing Bring It On Home being played on the radio one night.
2: Mm, It was. um, that was the first thing that ever really grabbed me. I'd been listening to English bands, and just before that, there was a big surge of English blues bands and and that sort of thing, that which which sort of came through mid sixties through and late sixties. And you had like the Yardbirds and them and the Animals, Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger played harmonica, so did Brian Jones. It just seemed like one of those things that people did back in that day. If you were a lead singer, you played harmonica, especially coming out as England back in the 60s there. And at that particular stage when I heard that, I was kind of fiddling around and writing lyrics and stuff like that. And that was the first time really the blues and harmonica really grabbed me.
0: Awesome. So are you self-taught?
2: Yeah. I did pick up a book that was available. There was only one book, I think, available at that particular time on harmonica. I went into Allen's, I think it might've been Allen's, and found a copy of that. Maybe I saw it and just picked it up by chance, or maybe I went in looking for it. I can't really remember because I'd already had a harmonica, a couple of harps that I'd bought because I started singing first and then kind of was working around with a couple of schoolmates and stuff like that, just getting together, playing stuff. And that's when I thought, okay, well, you know, I can't just... Stand here looking like an idiot, what else am I going to do? And all the singers are either banging away on a tambourine or playing harmonica. So uh, I thought, no, oh, I'll pick up a harp. And I fiddled around with that and I didn't take it very seriously up until I guess around about, when was that? That would have been about 73. I started fiddling around loosely with music and whatever in about 1970, singing in a band sort of at the end of school, but was fiddling around with a harp. But I didn't take it seriously to about 73. And I found this book and that really kind of pointed me in the right direction of what to do and who to listen to and everything like that. It mentioned what blues artists and songs to have a listen to. And then it kind of gave you a bit of an overview as to what they were doing on those particular songs. So that was about the only tuition I had. Everything else was really just as it was for most people back in that day. You just sat down with a record and then plugged away at it over and over and over. You just go over the same track and same licks and work them out which is a great way of doing it.
0: Definitely. And certainly yeah. seems to be the way that most harmonica players we really learn to play.
2: Yeah, now you've got sort of tuition online and all this sort of stuff and there's, there's 5 million harmonica players out there online that you can get tuition from. But back in the day, that wasn't the case.
0: Not at all. So what was the first band that you joined?
2: It took a while to kind of get a band as such really kind of going. As I said, I was just playing with some schoolmates. That was pretty loose, that really was. It was like we managed to pull one gig at the Henley Henley Square sound shell. But they used to have a sound shell there. In the summer, they used to have bands and things on there. And we managed to snag a gig there. And we called ourselves Black Mariah. At that stage, we might have had that one and another party somewhere that we played at. Yeah, I wouldn't particularly like to hear a recording of it right now, I don't think. No? (laughs) (laughs) No, No, I think we're pretty loose. But there you go. You know, that was when I was about 17, something like that. Yeah, 17, 18. Okay. After that, it took a while to actually then, I think it was about 73 I kept fiddling around writing with one of my mates, but we didn't actually do any playing, really. We just kind of wrote and did a few recordings and stuff, home recordings. And that was really good. It was a real learning curve going through that process. And then it wasn't until I met Dave Small. We got together in about 1973. Then we started writing stuff together and just working away at getting a band. But it took us, really took us up until about Late 70s to actually get something locked in where we had like a three piece thing called the Night Flyers, which then led on to the Flyers. But it started off just like an acoustic three piece thing to start with. We managed to pull a few gigs, played at the Arkaba Beachcomber Bar, had a bit of a residency there for a while. And again, very formative time. I've been in probably for a short time a band called the Fine Cuts a little bit before that. That was a blues band. It was all Pretty hit or miss at that particular time.
0: Yeah, David. What was the first job that you had after leaving school?
2: The first job I had, I was waiting for a. I went for an interview with John Martin's. My uncle knew a couple of people at John Martin's, and you know what it's like. It's that thing of like you not watch it. Oh, who you know type thing.
0: Do know because (laughs) my first job was at John Martin's. Oh really. Yeah, and it was because I had a friend that was working there.
2: It's amazing how many people you talk to that went through John Martins. It really yeah. is. And it was great. It was a really great place to work. My uncle knew the manager of the display studio that made props and signs and things for the, the store and for the front windows. And so he got me an interview there. They didn't have an opening, but they knew that there was one coming up in a few months. So in the meantime, I thought, oh, I'll just try the hand in anything that comes up. I spent a couple of months making aluminium window frames for me, for a place called Richmond Shopfitters at that particular time. While I was waiting for the job to come up, but in that time, I still didn't know whether the job was going to come up. They kind of said yes, probably would. So I thought, okay. And I also did an entrance exam to the South Australian School of Arts. I sat an entrance exam for that, which I passed. That and so it was really a matter of whether I wanted to go, sort of into artwork because that's really what I kind of wanted to do, really. The music thing was just kind of a bit of a sideline and I wanted to sort of get into artwork. So I tossed it up there, whether to go the practical route or the theory kind of route of going through the art school. And in the end, a couple of things sort of swayed me. I thought, no, I'll go to Johnny's. started off at John Martin's and as it turned out, it was through John Martin's. I started in, I think, 71 Phil Small actually started there in 72, and by the end of 72, beginning of 73, we'd become fast mate. That led on to me meeting his brother, and then we kind of got together, and I started writing music with his brother, and of course, then when Phil was in the band, Phil was asked to join Chisel. And then, of course, that led on to me just having a blow with Chisel whenever they're playing around locally, and they shifted into state, and they did the first album, they gave me a call, and... That's how K-San and Northbound Train came about.
0: And it's still yeah. one of the best albums I ever did, I'm sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's just, just amazing, of course, you know, to sort of look back on that. And, of course, K-San is now almost like an Australian national anthem type thing. And that's, of course, where everyone knows me, you know, really through that. That's, uh, yeah, one of those things.
0: Can you remember your first gig with Chisel?
2: No, not really. I can remember a few of them, like the Elizabeth Rugby Club, I think, and uh, maybe the Reapham, certainly Lark's Pew Hotel. They were kind of scooting around all over the place. They were getting quite a few gigs here in Adelaide. And then, of course, it was a bit of a case. They went into state and occasionally came back through here. So whenever they came back here, I'd catch up with them and have them play on a few tunes.
0: Excellent. David, do you have a memorable gig story that you'd like to share?
2: Ooh. Oh, well... Certainly, I mean, with Chisel, there's been memorable gigs, quite a few there I can remember, memorable for different reasons. I can remember one gig that they did at a place that used to be called, it was just off of Hindley Street and it was called Countdown. And it was probably a bit of a premier gig here in South Australia because all the bands used to come through, their little river band. Ted Mowley and and sort of everyone used to sort of come through and and play there. That was memorable because I can remember the place breaking out at the end of the night into a huge fight. (laughs) It was memorable in in that way. Other gigs were later on with Chisel, there were memorable gigs like when they did a warm-up gig at the Clovelli bowling club in Sydney to start off a tour. And that was really memorable because it was this little tiny place with more or less an invited crowd of probably about 100 people, 150 tops, because it was only a fairly small place. And it was quite a large PA, so it was blisteringly loud. And it was a very hot night. And I can just remember it for being a hot, sweaty, almost Like back to the pub gig sort of days, which were of course they were playing the big shows. You know, this was like, I think probably maybe about 2000. So this is when they reformed. So it wasn't back in their heyday. It was so memorable because it was like, it was a fantastic gig. It was just so good. But there are lots of those like that. And there were certain gigs too, sort of like with the Flyers, when the Flyers got going, they were really good. We did a support for uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan when he came to Adelaide in I think that was about 84, 485, 84, I think, at Festival Theatre and that was really, really great. Lots of memorable gigs, lots and lots.
0: Excellent. I recall Mick Rajan talking about one of the Flyers gigs when there was the strippers dancing on the poles.
2: Oh, that was in Geelong, I think, yeah, when we did this thing <laughs> there. I mean, that was just bizarre. I mean, what are you supposed to do, you know? And it's like...
0: You were singing <laughs> songs of love. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm singing songs of love while there's debauchery going on, you know. (laughs) I suppose there's a funny twist to that, but yeah. (laughs) I don't think I saw it at the time, actually.
0: Mm. (laughs) The things you do, Dave.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: David, is there a band that you wish that you'd had the opportunity to play with?
2: Uh, I guess not so much a band, but I suppose certain people, say like an Eric Clapton or something like that. That would have been great to be able to do that, but I mean, that's, that's big. I'm quite happy and, and thrilled that I've managed to play with the people that I have. You know, the Chisel Boys are just phenomenal and just getting to sit in with different people through the years, even back in the early days when I was learning. For a while there before I actually got into a band, one of the things that I used to do was I used to grab a pocket full of harmonicas and scoot up town or wherever there was a band playing quite a few times at the Archibald or something like that. One of the occasions was with Joe Camilleri when he was playing here. It wasn't with the Black Sorrows, it was way before then.
0: Joe uh, Joseph and the
2: Falcons? I think it was, yeah. I think it was towards the end of their time. One night there, I just, the archiver, hopped up, and he said, yeah, yeah, hop up, have a play, and very accommodating. You know? But that was, as I said, I was just kind of cutting my teeth at that stage. It was really good. A couple of times, just getting up, and I'd try everything, you know, hopping up with jazz bands and all sorts of things, and I was like, oh, jazz bands, a whole different thing again. But that kind of simplified down, even if it was like a trad, trad jazz band. Much simpler form. So I could actually find the form in that and just kind of work with that. The bands, the Elks from Perth, I think it was, Western Australian band. They were really good, but they were having a really shitty night. I mean, there's certainly a lot of bands and different players. I mean, goodness, it would have been great to sort of have a play with the African American players. That would have been great.
0: Excellent. How do you prepare yourself before a show? You
2: just drink lots
0: of water. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I I still like, well, I still like to actually get there and just have a beer or two just to relax. I'm not naturally at home on stage. I never really feel at home on stage, but it's one of those things you just kind of, okay, if I want to do this thing, I love playing music. And that was one of the reasons why I actually thought when I was coming up, I just thought, okay, I'm not in a band. I just need to get out there and just do this, bite the bullet and fight my fears, get up there and do it. And it's never really changed. I still get pretty nervous before I play. I've gotten used to sort of playing harmonica. I can hide behind that. You know, singing's a different kettle of fish. I I sing in my band of flyers. But I prefer to just actually get up there, sit behind somebody and orchestrate some stuff, play fills behind a singer-songwriter. That's my favourite thing. And maybe sing a tune or two along the way. That's a good night for me. But as I said, even so, I still loosen up a little bit, so I usually have a beer or two.
1: Fair
0: enough. Okay, let's talk about your setup.
2: You were hoping I was going to say, no, 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 no. I fill myself full of drugs or something. Oh, God, no. (laughs) You've got to spice it up, you
0: know. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to talk about your setup now, David. Yeah. Let's start with what type of harmonica do you play?
2: Okay, pretty much all the way along the line of played Hona Marine Band harmonicas. I tend to like the wooden comb, as they call it, inside, in between the metal pieces. I just prefer that. Some of the ones have metal, others have plastic. I prefer the wooden comb. Just the last few years, I've been playing using Seidel harmonicas. Really, really nice. Both German brands. Both very, very good. I like the Seidels because they're just, I don't know, they're a fraction heavier and they feel just a little bit different in a slightly different way. But Hona harmonicas, Hona marine bands have pretty much been the standard fare. When you're out on the road, if you need a harmonica and you say you've blown a harmonica out or something like that, when you're on the road, you have to go and get another couple if you haven't got the right spares. If you run out of your spare harmonicas, you've pretty much got to get anything you can. Lee Oscars are fine as well.
0: What microphone do you use?
2: A Shure 545, it's an older one. It's a forerunner to an SM57. That's my microphone of choice for live playing. Session playing, I use a variety of different things depending upon the sound, how distorted you want the sound to be, how gritty you want that sound to be, whether you want to go right towards the Chicago sound or whether you want to notch it back a little bit. I play live with the 545 because it's what Paul Butterfield used. I really like his sound. Early on, I, I made that decision to not play, not to go for the Little Walter sound and, I, and like the real full-on Chicago sound, but rather to go to a Paul Butterfield sound, which to me, you can take his sound into a country music, you can take it into rock, you can move it around and you can just play blues with it. Whereas a, a Little Walter sound, it doesn't fit in country music. And I kind of like varying it a little bit and doing all of those things when the occasion arises. Excellent. What app do you use? I've got a little Philips amp that I use for recording. Pretty much all my recording is done with this little tiny Philips amp that used to be part of the PA system. It was in the ABC building that used to be in town. And when they demolished that, there was a bunch of those floating around. Funnily enough, Rob Riley got his hands on one years and years later. But I found one in an old secondhand shop. Oh, must have been about 40 years ago now. And that's, it's pretty much my go-to thing for recording. As I said, I use a variety of different microphones with that. I use the Philips Dynamax microphone with that sometimes, or the Shure 545, or an Static, depending upon the sound that's required. But live, I started playing uh, using a Fender amplifier way, way back for live playing. But then when you get with a band like, say, Cold Chisel or you get with a rock band, you can't possibly hear yourself. And if they actually put a microphone on that and you're coming back through the monitors to hear yourself with that, the sound just loops around around and feeds back, so you, you'll never rise above the volume of the band. The only way that I could find to get around that was by just using a preamp to get the sound that you want. You send this preamp out to the PA, to the mixing desk. You can get your sound coming back through the monitors and it won't feed back as much. you still got to watch it. As soon as you cup your hands around the microphone, as I'm sure you know, you're mm-hmm. going to have feedback problems. A harp player is working against that pretty much all the time.
0: David, how did the pandemic impact you?
2: It did the same thing to all of us, really, didn't it? It knocked out the gigs. And I think what we've got now is the gigs are, are coming back mainly for duos and solos, whereas bands, I think, are still struggled down a bit. It's going to take a little while for that to get back. I think what happened during the pandemic, I mean, things of being like that anyway for a while where, oh, no, we can't afford a band, so we'll just get a solo performer or, or a duo. But I think that happened more so during the end of the pandemic. That's kind of hanging on a bit now. Mick Kidd and I did get a few gigs through that time, but I think it was mainly kind of playing at a, like a birthday party or a private show somewhere or something like that. There were a few of those in there.
0: Yeah. Was there a positive that came from that period that wouldn't have occurred for you otherwise?
2: Yeah, there was. Mick and I, during that time there, we actually did the third album, the third CD. So that was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do? We've got some of the songs here. Let's get the CD rolling. And I suggested to him that we just do it here at my place. I've had a program for a while, Studio One program, Presona Studio One. So I suggested that we just do it here at my place because I've got a large open space warehouse-y type thing where I've always pretty much rehearsed the flyers. So we actually got that. Organised, and the idea was record the stuff, and then I said, "It's up to you, Mick, what you want to do with it." Then we can take it somewhere and get it mixed. I'll have a crack at it if you want me to. Certainly a learning curve for me because I hadn't sort of really done. I'd done that a little bit with one of the flyers things, brought them up to a stage where, okay, what are we going to do with this? And there's still flyers tracks there from the last album that we're working on that we haven't gone back to because. Right in the middle of doing that or towards the end of doing that, Rob Riley came down with cancer and, and that took us out of the equation for a while. And we've never really gotten back to actually performing live in a continuous way. We've done a couple of gigs since then. It's a fair way back now. But at that stage, I fiddled around with a few of those tunes. With the same sort of thing in mind. Okay, what are we going to do with this? Who are we going to get to mix it? And whatever. They're still sitting there. At some stage, they'll have to be finished so I can actually just say, right, take that one off the list. We went through the whole process of recording. And then I mixed it, and then we took it to Mick Woodley at Mixmasters. He mastered it, and now it's a finished CD. It was a real positive.
0: Okay, David. If you could offer only one tip to a brand new harmonica player,
2: what would it be? That would be... I would think listen, listen to all the various sorts of playing that there is out there and and listen to various sorts of music. Look, it's fine if you want to be a blues harmonica player and, and that's all you want to be. It's fine, but try a few other things because it will help you with what you want to do. Try playing a bit of country music, try playing to a bit of trad jazz and listen to all of that stuff. Listen to the beauty of what music is. It is beautiful. The more you listen to various sorts of music, the more you learn, uh, the more you can bring to what you do.
0: Excellent. Who are your top three players?
2: Oh, that would be probably Paul Butterfield, Sonny Boy Williamson, Little Walter.
0: And what about locally?
2: locally we've got some good players here definitely I always enjoy hearing snooks Snooks came to me pretty early on there I had three people at one time I don't take lessons don't do lessons but what I do do is doing at that time anybody came to me I'd just say look come along we'll have an hour session here I'll have a listen to what you're doing and whatever I can hear there if I can hear there are areas there where I think that you need to strengthen up and concentrate on we'll work on that I can pinpoint that then I can give you a couple of exercises to do or I'd say okay we'll listen to some- so-and-so and see what he's doing in that situation. It's more or less more troubleshooting than anything else. So there was one time there I had Marks Winston, Snooks, and another chap that nobody sort of knows, Craig. They were all coming along at that particular time, and i just sort of listen to them all and do that and just take them through that. They were coming down for a few, not for a long period. I think they sort of came along for about three sessions or something like that over a period of maybe six months because I'd just send them off and say, okay, work on that for a month and then come back and we'll see how it's going pretty much the only way I can work at that. Snooks has always been very, very, even when he came along to, to me then, you know, and he was only just, he wasn't in a band or anything at that stage, he was just working away at it by himself. As you do, they all were, I think. Snooks was very strong, even then, and there was very little that I had really pinpoint for him.
0: Fabulous. David, if you could invite any musicians to play in a concert with you anywhere in the world, who would you call and where would you hold the concert? <laughs>
2: That's tough. Tough question because it's like, wow, there's so many. I mean, my favorite guitarist is Jimmy Page. The way he approaches so many different varieties of music, not only from a blues perspective, but also from an English perspective as well. And there's a lot of bluesiness he has. But playing with him would be, no, Mark Knopfler, actually. If anyone at the moment, it would be Mark Knopfler. And where, I mean, that's... Quite frankly, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care if it was in his toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go anywhere, Mark. <laughs> I'll be there for you. Some of the stuff that he's been doing is because it's uh, it's not bluesy, but it has elements. I can take stuff in there. The stuff that I do with Mick Kidd, and as I said, I'm really enjoying doing that because of the space that's there. I get to orchestrate. Mick, he's got his songs there which are relatively simple, straightforward songs with a good melody. And that's kind of like Mark Knopfler does too. The kids' songs are on the bluesy side, but not necessarily full-on blues. They're sort of melodic blues with a chorus, which a lot of blues songs haven't got. So it's not straight blues. Mark Knopfler has got elements of blues in there. And it's got elements of country and English folk in there. And all of those things I really like. I can take my playing into that. And he's a fine writer. And that's really the thing that I I like most about any of these people. Write a great song with a great melody in it. But if I'm going to say, you know, Mark Knopfler, I mean, I've had the opportunity to work with Don Walker on his solo projects. That was an absolute treat. It's like, wow, you know, the stuff that we did on some of those songs and albums, the We're All Gonna Die album with with the people that played on that album it was like almost can't get any better than that it's like wow died and gone to heaven stuff excellent yeah i've been lucky lucky in that respect
0: you've played with some fabulous people
2: oh absolutely yeah 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 i think with the don walker stuff it was for me i guess playing with chisel is fantastic it's just mighty but playing with don it was more it was probably more me sort of with chisel i tend to be a bit of a case of right get out there and sort of blow everybody away type thing especially with the live stuff because that's they're a band, they are a full-on band with energy, whereas Don's music, he paints landscapes with his music, and so you settle into that, and it's not about blowing anybody away. It's about setting mood and just painting a backdrop so that Don can tell his stories and lay it down all on top of that, and I love that. I absolutely love that. That's probably my favourite thing to do.
0: And Don did call you the best blues harmonica player in the country.
2: He did. I kind of winced at that but he said it, <laughs> and I thought, oh, Don, you know it was wonderful i was like oh don (laughs) but when he said that i thought well really i don't classify myself as a blues harmonica player you know it's part of what i do there are those players out there that specialize in blues and they play blues way way better than me it's just i've gotten something from the blues that i love and i utilize that i also got stuff from other areas that is really part of my bag of tricks i guess so that's why i never really classify myself as a blues heart player
0: fair enough you
2: listen to Snooks. snooks is all over it you know sort of a blues playing you can run rings around me with blues playing he's fantastic
0: he's definitely a fabulous player
2: such a polished performer and he works with the crowd and he's a great front man you know it's something that i've never been able to quite manage to do become enough to be able to talk well to the crowd, but he's got to doubt that.
0: Yes, he certainly is a very well-rounded entertainer.
2: Yeah, my goodness, yes.
0: David, is there something that you've really tried to play that you couldn't get right or you weren't satisfied with the way that you played it?
2: Oh, absolutely! I remember a while back when the AMC band we called ourselves the Hall of Famers. That was Enrico was taking the the Hall of Fame bunch. I always used to call it the Hall of Farmers. Chris Finning used to have a laugh about that. We always called it the Hall of Farmers. Right, where are we going to park the tractors? Come on. <laughs> But we had Trev Warner. We'd do like a three-piece band backing up three headliners type thing. And it'd quite often be Trev Warner, Chris Finn, and myself. Trev had a couple of country songs because he's a country player. So we'd have my section of songs, which will fly as song pretty much and maybe a couple of blues tunes thrown in. And then we'd have Chris's set, which is pretty much blues songs, but with his variations too, like his African Marketplace song and, and that. So it varied in its own way. And then we'd have Trev Warner in there, and we'd all kind of like join in with him. And there was one song, was it Orange Blossom Special, or one of those songs there, and, uh, and it just had this quite simple train chase type thing, all up-and-coming Harmonica players learn how to play the train chase. It's just that thing with puff and blow, puff and blow, draw in, blow out, and draw in and you kind of like pick up speed and do that but it's something that i never particularly wanted to learn how to do it because it was something that i, I thought i'm never going to use this I never did see harmonica playing as being that thing Oh, all right we're all around the campfire get out the harp and play uh, you know she'll be coming around the mountain or something like that you know <autres Nepalế chill and laughs> it was something that <laughs> i wanted to do and so i never learned how to do that and so he said oh come on Dave, you'll be able to do this no I couldn't <laughs> i couldn't I couldn't do it and it was one of those things i thought if i really stuck to this and really really got it. And I'm sitting there listening to, on a recording of Johnny Cash doing it. I thought, if Johnny Cash can do this, and he's not a harp player, I should be able to do this. But what it is, it's developing a way of playing that is just really back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in a rhythmic sort of way that I never do. I've never done it. And so it's really quite hard for me to do it. So in the end, I said, oh, I think I'm just going to opt out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> Bah. Absolutely, I don't want to catch this train. And I did, and I thought, oh my god, he's Trevor. such a great player, great all-round player. Plays mandolin, violin, guitar. He's fantastic. I'd sit him with some of his other tunes, which were just standard country tunes and stuff like that. Fine, but that particular song, I felt like such a wimp because <laughs> it's like, oh come on, David, come on, you can do this. You should get. No, I can't. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> It was one of those things. But that's okay. We have our limitations. Well, we've got to have some, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I've got a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you've got the flyers and you play regularly with Mick Kidd. Other (laughs) projects are you involved
1: with?
2: That's all there is, really. There's nothing else there. You know, I occasionally get a session or something like that that comes through. That's good. I kind of like the sessions. Sometimes they might send you a, a bit of a demo to have a listen to, which I, I have a listen to it, pick up a heart and send the key of, and then I'll, I'll write down the form that it is. Verse, verse, chorus, verse, da-da-da-da, bridge, solo, right, solo over two lots or whatever, outro and uh, whatever. Keep where it's all going so that I'm prepared to go into, into the session, but I try not to spend too long on it so I'm kind of fresh when I get in there because I really love that whole thing of just flying by the city of your pants and I guess that's part of the whole thing that what I used to do too when I used to go around you know when I was 18 or 19 and just hop up and have a play with somebody and just to see what we can do and let's just be right here in the moment because at the end of the day that's what it is I like that just being in the moment being fresh when I started playing with Mick that was about nine or ten years ago now just came along he was doing the Semaphore Blues and Roots Festival, and he just rang me up. I'd only met him a short while before that, and he just rang me up and said, oh, Dave, I'm doing the festival down there. Would you sit in with me, please? Yeah, sure. No worries. So I did. I sat in with him for his set down there. We didn't have a rehearsal or anything like that. He thought the same thing. He, he said, I don't think there's going to be anything there that you're going to be worried about. And I thought, okay, that's fine. Let's see how we go." Some of them were like generic blues things. Some of them were just his own songs, which were blues-based. But that's pretty much how we've gone all the way along. We've never had a rehearsal and that's the way I like it. He'll just come along usually with a song. If he's got a new song there, he'll play it and I'll just wing it. There's nothing there that that I think that I can't handle that Mick will throw at me. Yeah, I like it like that.
0: Excellent. Is there anything that you hope to do or achieve before
2: you stop playing? I think the only thing that I'd tick the box on at the moment is getting the last Flyers album finished. <laughs> but achieving anything else? No, I'm I'm really, really happy with the cards that I've been dealt and everything. As I said, I'm really happy that when I play, it sounds like me. There was one time when we were playing in Threadbow. Just before Rob Riley came down with cancer, we went to the Threadbow Blues Festival. We had four gigs over that weekend there. There was one gig there in that, like a hall type thing. I was inside just doing a sound check. Rob Riley was sitting outside and he told me afterwards, as Rob was sitting outside there, just outside the door, Continental Robert, Robert Sousa from the old Dynamic Hypnotics, he walked past with, must have been one of the other guys out of the band. The guy said, oh, I wonder who that is. And Robert said, I've only met Robert once. And Robert said, I think that's David Blythe." Yeah, he's got a very different style, but I like it. I was happy with that. To me, that's about as good as it gets, you know. He's got a different style. He's a different player. He doesn't sound like anybody else. He just sounds like himself. But then he said, oh, I like it. Lovely. So I've achieved that, which is way more than I thought that I was ever going to get, you know, and getting to play on Case where Just about everybody in Australia has heard me at some time, I'm sure. What an honor. When I started off in music, I never could have dreamed of getting that. So that's about as good as it gets. If I get anything else, you know, if I get to play with Jimmy Page or Robert Plant or Eric Clapton or Mark Knopfler or anything like that, which is not going to happen, still nice to think about it. doesn't matter. That would be great too. But I'm very, very happy with the stuff that I've played, the gigs that I've played around Australia. I can't think of anything else. I really can't. Excellent. Hey, I'm coming up on 70 now, so it's, gee, I haven't learned what I need to know to get me by by now. I don't know. I'm quite satisfied with that aspect. That's another thing too with the whole thing of listening to other players and listening to other music and all that sort of stuff. Don't just be satisfied with sounding like someone. We all got that thing that we're like as we're coming up, we all want to sound like, you know, so-and-so or, or sing like this or whatever or play guitar like that. Well, don't be satisfied with that. Just sound like yourself, sing like yourself, play harmonica like yourself. And that's one thing that I am proud of. I don't like sort of thinking that I'm proud of anything too much there that I've done or whatever, but people know me by my sound. I don't sound like anybody else. I don't sound like Little Walter. If anyone I sound a bit like, it's probably would be Paul Butterfield because I approach it from his perspective, I suppose, the way he plays, because I like his sound and I'm using the same sort of microphone that he used. There's probably that. I like to think that I sound like myself.
0: Excellent. Before we end our chat today, I'm going to ask David 20 quick random questions or as many as we can get through in the space of two minutes to close the interview. Are you ready, David?
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah. I take it that's a
0: yes. Oh, uh, yes. Uh. Okay. Your time starts now. What was the first single that you purchased?
2: I think it would have been the Beatles. Maybe, hey, Jude. The Beatles no, it's song. Not. That's not. No, it wouldn't be. I know what it was. It was Russell Morris, the real thing.
0: Okay. The yeah. Beatles song, Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite, features two harmonica parts played by whom?
2: John Lennon. And? Oh, John Lennon. Uh, uh, two harmonica. And Paul, Paul McCartney.
0: George Harrison. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. What was the first concert that you went to?
2: First big concert? Led Zeppelin. At at Memorial Drive.
0: What was the only single released off of Led Zeppelin II album?
2: Whole Lotta Love.
0: Correct. Name a band you wish you'd seen perform live.
2: Oh, see that. That's... Dire Straits.
0: Name the popular kids' television program that has a harmonica in its theme song. Pass. Sesame Street. What was the first song that you learnt to play on the harmonica?
1: Ooh, pass. Which
0: 1978 debut single was banned by censors two weeks after its release? What date? Which 1978 debut single was banned by censors two weeks after its release? Here's a hint you played on it.
2: You can't it. yeah. I was wondering about that. I was just saying, okay, yeah.
0: What is your favourite song to play on the harmonica? Haven't got one. In what year did Sir Edward Hayward open the first children's Christmas parade?
2: 1933.
0: Correct. Your favourite chisel
2: song? Last Wave of Summer?
0: What was the last concert that you went to? (laughs) We're out of time. (laughs) Bloody hell. (laughs) It
2: spins through. That's
0: all, it goes quick. It
2: does. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you once
0: again, David, for joining me for the Bandit About podcast today. You've been great to chat to and I hope that everyone who listens finds this as enjoyable as I did.
2: Oh, thank you, Don.
0: (laughs) All of the information and links relating to today's interview can be found in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please share the link with your friends. Until next week, it's goodbye from me. Dice blowing, banded about, proudly supporting live music. Bye.
2: Bye Bye-bye. I need a drink now. You need a beer. <laughs> I do. I think i got to wander down to the big shed. <laughs> <laughs>